We're going to continue a little series I've been doing on politics. Uh, it's, it's just controversial by nature of the topic, isn't it? You just talk about politics. You're controversial. I love that. I like it. I can be controversial. I don't even have to say anything. Just be, just, I'm going to talk about politics. You're controversial. So titled the series Kingdoms in Conflict, real quick, uh, a couple main points that we've established already just for frame of reference. First main point is my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world are two separate things. And you can't take the kingdom of the world and dress it up and, and clean it up a little bit and spray some foo-foo juice on it, make it smell nice, and pretend it's the kingdom of God, because it's not. It's, it's a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer, a little bit shinier. It's still the kingdom of this world. And those are, are two very, very separate and, and different things uh, that don't, they're not the same and they don't work the same way. The kingdom of the world functions by establishing power and authority over people. The kingdom of God uh, is established. Power in the kingdom of God is derived when people consciously, intentionally, purposely place themselves in a position of servitude under others and serve them. And so those are distinctively different things. They, they, don't, they don't always line up. They're, they're, they're not the same. The kingdom of God advances when the people of God um, imitate Jesus. When the people of God do outrageous acts of love for people around them, even, even towards those that have declared themselves as enemies. Someone says, I'm your enemy. You say, I'm going to love you anyway. That's what Jesus did, and that's, what the, that's how the kingdom of God moves forward. Second point we made last week, I talked about a tale of two disciples. Um, among those called by Jesus, two of his 12 disciples were a man named Simon the Zealot and a man named Matthew the tax collector. And as it would be, the, these two gentlemen came from extremely polar opposite ends of the political spectrum. Very, 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 very different in their political beliefs. I shared with you last week, we today don't really even have categories to fit how diverse they were in their political beliefs. Interestingly enough, throughout the entire course of his ministry, Jesus never said which was the better way. Never commented. Never said, you, you, you need to adjust your thinking a little bit. You need to vote a little differently. He never said that. Um, their, their political beliefs did not affect negatively or adversely in any way their spiritual beliefs. And when we have Jesus as common Lord and Savior, that is greater than, you remember math? I don't know much about math, but greater than and less than. That is greater than any and all of the minor political differences we might have. So that's what we've covered so far. T tonight, oh, by the way, let me just say, that was a very, very brief little um, synopsis there. Um, you don't need to remember all that. If you want to get the sermons, if you're an iTunes user, which I think pretty much everyone is an iTunes user. Go to iTunes, podcast, just search Portland Vineyard Church. It pops right up. It's there. I saw it. I did it. Same thing with Buzzsprout. You can search on Buzzsprout as well. Can you not? I believe. Yeah, just search Portland Vineyard, and it's a podcast, and you can listen to it. You can listen to it 
on your phone, on your computer, wherever you want. Isn't that fun? You can hear me. I love that. That's so fun. Um, so to, here's what I want to I want to continue tonight, and, and I want to make some specific application. I've talked in sort of general principles thus far, and I, and I want to apply this to us uh, as American Christians today. And, and, and I want to uh, apply some of those principles to situations that, that might uh, affect how we live and what we think and how we respond to the world around us and the political arena that we all live in. So um, pray with me, if you would. Lord, uh, give me grace and help me to, to uh, speak uh, your heart with wisdom and truth tonight, Lord, and help us to have ears to hear and bless this time in your name. Amen. So um, last week I said that, that you know, a, a government is, is a version, every government is a version or representative of the kingdom of the world because it, it exists by having power and authority over the particular version that we live in here in this country, I believe, um, well, first of all, it asks our opinion as to how power should be distributed and utilized, which is good. We have a vote, right? We get a vote. That's a good thing. That That is uh, a positive thing. I, I would say this. I, I believe that our particular version of the kingdom of the world, the government that we live in and under, is one of the best in the world uh, in terms of fairness and functionality. I don't know if it's the best because I've not lived in all of the other ones, right? So I, I, I don't think I could objectively say that. I would say it's among the top. From what I've seen, the places that I have traveled to, I've never lived in another country, but I've spent um, you know, time in a, in, in a number of other countries, and I, I am aware of situations politically in, in other countries. Uh, I, I would say it, it functions as well as any. And, and I, I think we should be thankful for that. We should thank God for that. Uh, we should thank God for those that have sacrificed before us to provide that opportunity for us. Having said that, though, here's the thing. This is, this is where kind of the rubber meets the road a little bit, if you will. It's, it's exactly because of that that I think we need to be particularly careful to, to not try to uh, or not get sort of sucked into thinking that our opinion on how the kingdom of the world should operate is the same as, is synonymous with the kingdom of God. Because it can very easily. In fact, in fact, I say that, and this is where I suppose uh, I, I might be controversial in the minds of some. I say that because I know that a lot of Christians today in our country think that. They think that very thing. They think that uh, our version of the kingdom of the world is in fact synonymous with the kingdom of God. I know that because I read. I talk to people. I listen. I watch TV. I see what they say. Um, one, one thing I, I, you hear from time to time, tell me, I'm sure you've heard this, is that we need to take America back for God. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Take America back for God. Uh, if you Google Take America Back for God, you'll come up with a lot of images like, like these, uh, very often military imagery. So Taking America Back for God has a, a, a military component to it. Uh, God bless America, you hear a lot. And nothing wrong with that. They say God bless America is fine. But the inference, I believe, is God bless America over and above anybody else is what I sometimes 
uh, sort of hear through that. The one on the left I like, you can't read that, it's too small. It's Isaiah 40 up there. Uh, th- those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. And the eagle, of course, is a symbol of America. So, of course, that verse is referring to America, right? So you'll hear and see a lot of images like that, a lot of uh, thoughts about taking America back for God. And the idea, the idea there, what's being presented is that America was once upon a time in, in its history, in our past, a, a great Christian nation. And if we are able to sort of tweak the system a little bit today, if we, can, if we can get the right people in office, if we vote the right way, if we pass the right bills, that we, we will be restored to that. If, if we can determine, uh, in, you know, a little more effectively how that power over should be administrated, then it'll be a great Christian nation again. It's that simple. Well, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I'll give you two reasons. And the first reason is so profound, you will be, you will awe, be in awe and amazed at my incredible depth of insight and wisdom when I share this with you. It is so profound. They're already laughing. I haven't even said it. First, first reason is, is this. Nations aren't Christians. People are. Is that deep? Nations aren't Christians. People are. To say that this is a Christian nation really is no different than me saying, I have a Christian car. In fact, my car is a Chevy, so it was made in America, so that, that's the first thing. It's not one of those, you know, communist foreign jobbies. My car is redeemed, sanctified, Washed in the blood, my car is filled with the Holy Spirit. My car has eternal life. It's, I am completely confident it will be in heaven with me. That's absurd. That's absurd to say that. But it's really no... I mean, we could say you have a Christian television. These chairs, these, these are Christian chairs. They're in a church. They must be Christians, right? Uh, it's, it doesn't make sense. Things, uh, entities aren't Christians. People are, are Christians. People follow Jesus. People obey Jesus. People imitate Jesus. People love the way that Jesus loves. People are Christians. So that's the first reason. The second reason is the one that we've been talking about all the way along, and that is that the kingdom of the world, including governments, exists by establishing power over. The kingdom of the God ex- exists by establishing power under. And those two things just are not the same. No matter how you dress them up, they're not the same thing. So you might be saying to yourself right now, who, who cares? What is the big deal? Why are you blathering on about this? What does this possibly matter? And, and here's, here's why it matters, and here's why I really felt it was important during an election year and just in the political arena we're in today to talk about this stuff. I, I really think that when you attempt to fuse the kingdom of God and kingdom of the world together, that the results are disastrous. That the outcome, the consequences of that are bad and negative, and that in fact, not only do they not advance the kingdom of God, but they harm it and hurt it and make it move backwards. That's what I think. So, this is what I want to do. I'm going to share two uh, of those consequences that I believe happened tonight with you, and then next week, or, or I guess next week is Shogun. You guys need to be here for that. He is awesome. 
You'll love him. And then in a couple weeks, we'll come back, and I'll share a couple more of those consequences with you. Then I'll shut up, and, and we'll move on to so, something different. But two, two things that I think are, happen when we attempt to fuse the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God together. The first one of those things is this. Fusion of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world diminishes our witness for Christ. This is huge to me. What, what is it that... Pop quiz... What is it that differentiates Christians from other people? Oh, who said that? You'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. That's all you get. I'm not going to sing any more than that. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the determining factor. That's the differentiation. That's the dividing line. The world will know we are Christians as they see how we love one another and others. I would add to that there. I think that's implied in other places. John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. I know you guys have been led to believe falsely your whole lives that the prayer in Matthew 5 or 6, wherever it is, is the Lord's Prayer. This is the real Lord's Prayer in John 17. And I just want to read... It's a long prayer. You should read it regularly, study it, pray it. But, but I want to just share a few verses in the middle of it tonight with you. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone, those that are with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? Us. That's us. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So by, by unity, by caring for one another, by loving people, that's how the world around us will know that we are Christians. That is the witness. That is the example that we are to set. The, the love of God as it's expressed through us, through God's people, as the church manifests that Christ-like love, the world will be convinced that Jesus is real, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is who he says he is. So our lives are supposed to create a question that only the love of God can answer. Our lives are supposed to create a question that only the love of God can answer. Why, why would you spend a beautiful, sunny Sunday afternoon driving up to the hospital to pray for someone and visit with someone that you've never known or met before? Why would you do that? Why, why would you spend three hours every Thursday afternoon in the pouring rain walking groceries out to somebody's car? when you have a hundred other things that need to be done, why would you do that? Why, why are you always nice to me? Why, why do you come over here and offer to help me unload my groceries in my car and offer to mow my lawn when all I ever am is mean and cranky to you? Why would you do that? And that's the question our life is supposed to ask. And you know what the beauty of it is? We have an answer. 
Oh, funny you ask. Let me tell you why. You know why I do that? You know why I did that? You know why I, I'm nice to you? Because, because I serve a God like that. I, 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 have, I, I serve a God who loved me when I was always mean and cranky. That's why. I, I do that because I serve a God who loves me so much that he gave himself up for me. And you know what? Not only for me, but for you too. And you can know that same God. It's in the love of Jesus exhibited through God's people that the world knows that Jesus is real. And you know, God leverages his kingdom on that, on the love of his people. That, that is the leverage God has in the building of his kingdom. We may think it's other things. We may think it's clever arguments. We may think it's wonderful programs for our kids. We may think it's eloquent sermons or great music. And those are all good things. And, and God will use those things. Let's be honest. Eloquent sermons are better than lame sermons. Great music is better than sucky music. I love great music. I don't like sucky music. God will use those things. But he doesn't leverage his kingdom on those things. He leverages his kingdom on the love of his people being manifest to those in the world around them. God's kingdom advances when his people obey him and imitate him and do what he does and love like he loves. That's when God's kingdom advances. That's how that happens. So, if we identify this then as a Christian nation the government gets sort of mixed up with the kingdom of God, mixed in with the message of the kingdom of God, and, and it really does get distorted. Now, America has done some very, very good things. Also done some very, very bad things. And even when America does the good things, the best it can be is a, a decent fair power over regime. That's the best it can be on its best day. That's the best any nation can do, but a nation cannot replicate the sacrificial love of Jesus. A nation can't do that. When we identify our nation, this is one of my favorites. It's an American cross. When we identify our nation as a Christian nation, it, it pollutes, frankly, the unique witness to the world that we have as God's people. It pollutes that. I'll give you an example of that. It's a graphic one, but I think it's important. If I am living in the country of Afghanistan today, and I am believing what I hear that America is a Christian nation, then what I think is this. This is what you Christians do. First, you bomb the hell out of us. And then you desecrate the bodies of our dead soldiers, and you mutilate the bodies of our dead soldiers, and you walk through our villages and slaughter innocent women and children. That's what your Christian nation does? Now, you and I know that those acts are not in any way, shape, or form a reflection of God, God's heart, the church, the kingdom of God, or anything like that, but that's exactly my point. When we say this is a Christian nation, what are people to think except 
My friends in Nicaragua understand this. They have an amazing ability to separate nations and politics from people. And I, I first became aware of this, this dynamic, with them. Before we started going to Nicaragua, I read some books, I did some research, I looked some stuff up. I wanted to capture the heart of the country. I wanted to know everything I could about the history of the people. I read all the history. Here's what I found out, among other things. I found a lot of things. One of the things I found out is America has been no friend to Nicaragua. We've invaded their country in a couple times, two or three times, burnt half of it to the ground once, most recently conscripted Nicaraguans uh, into a war on their own territory that was really our war. Um, we've not been a friend to Nicaragua. So that concerned me. And when I went there, I spent some time, I got to know some folks, and I, I became friends with some, and I, I asked, hey, how do, you, how do you guys feel about us coming here? We're Americans. Is that, oh, we love you guys. We love you. You're awesome. We're so happy. We're so thankful. We're blessed that you come. Really? Oh, that's cool, because I was worried, because I thought maybe... You know, knowing what I know about history, that maybe you guys wouldn't like America very much. They go, oh, we don't. We don't like America at all. Oh, but you just said you like Americans. Oh, yeah, we love Americans. You guys are great people. We just don't like your country. At first, I was, I was boggled. I couldn't understand it. And I thought, oh, wow. They really mean that. They really have separated the country from the people. They love us. They, 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 tr- they, they welcome us in. They hug us. They feed us. They take good care. They, they serve us when we go there. But they don't like our country very much. But they don't treat us like our country. They've totally, totally made a distinction there. And again, I think if you read uh, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, a couple other passages like that, you, you kind of gain an understanding of how we fit, how we function as Christians in a political arena. And we know that there's some th- certain things that we're supposed to do to do that. But, but here's the thing. God doesn't expect nations to turn the other cheek, but he does expect Christians to. God doesn't expect nations to walk an extra mile when an oppressor forces them to go one, but he does expect kingdom people to do that. God does not expect nations to bless those who persecute you, but he does expect his people to do that. God God doesn't expect nations to love and sacrifice for their enemies, but he does expect his people to do that. They're two very, very different things. Hello, kids. See, and here, here, I think, I, I really believe, I, I really believe that Satan uses that confusion and that, that attempt to blend the kingdom of the world with the kingdom of God to dilute and pollute the witness of kingdom people to the world around us. I really believe he uses it that way. I, I attend the um, annual Vineyard Missions meeting. I, I, he, I lead the Nicaragua Task Force, so as a task force leader, uh, I, I'm invited to this meeting. All the task force leaders and all the task force people for missions in the world are there. It's an exciting meeting. Vineyard is in, I think, almost 70 countries now, and it's cool. It's cool to gather together and hear stories. There is a, a large movement in the midst of Vineyard Missions right now uh, to reach Muslim people. There are a number, a number of churches focusing a tremendous amount of energy on reaching Muslim people and ministering in nations that have large Muslim populations. And again, in, 
in conversation with these guys who are in those countries on a regular basis, th th this is what they've said. People in those places have bought into this idea that America is a Christian nation. And, and the same thing. They say this to them. Well, your country is full of pornography. It's full of immorality. It's full of debauchery. Why, why, would, I want, why would I want anything to do with Christianity if that's what it is? That's the mindset. I think, I, I really, I think it's to the advantage of the kingdom of God for kingdom of God people to stand on the rooftops and shout as loud as they can, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. America is not a Christian nation any more than Russia or China or Afghanistan or Nicaragua or Mexico or anywhere else is a Christian nation. People are Christians. And some American people are Christians. When our kids went to Mexico two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever they went, they crossed the border. But I want you to know it was not the great American nation ministering to the poor Mexicans. The kingdom of God was in those kids. The kingdom of God went with those kids. They represented the kingdom of God. And... Uh, that brings me to my second point, and that is this, that the fusion of the kingdom of God and kingdom of the world undermines the missional focus of the church. When we think of missions, we think of going somewhere, right? That's, they're almost synonymous. That's a, it's a missions trip. You go somewhere to go on a mission. We, we all know, I think we know, that you can be on a mission anywhere, right? You don't have to go somewhere. But it's easy to identify with having a, a kingdom mindset and a missional focus when you go. Why? Why? It's also the reason that things happen when you go. Here's, can I tell you a pet peeve? Here's my pet peeve. People say, why is it whenever we hear about healings and miracles and all these great things God's doing, it's always somewhere else. It's always over there. It's always in Africa. It's always in Mexico. It's always in Nicaragua. It's never here. Why is that? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Commitment, focus, and sacrifice. That's why. When you go on a trip like that, first of all, you're committed. You have probably spent six months, maybe a year, in preparation for that trip. You've had team meetings. You've had training. You've prayed together. You've probably prayed together over and over and over again. You, you, you're significantly committed to that trip. Second of all, you are focused. When you're on that trip, you're not really worried about tomorrow uh, getting to work, what has to be done at home, uh, feeding the dog, any of that stuff. You are there 24-7 focused on kingdom ministry. We're going to do this stuff right now. We're going to pray for people. We're going to heal people. This is, that's your entire focus is on that. And you have sacrificed. You have committed your time, energy, and money to go on that trip. You have paid money out of pocket to go on that trip. You have, you have made a commitment. You're focused. You're sacrificed. That's why things happen. If, here, here, if I said, I need 20 volunteers, here's what we're going to do. First of all, it's going to cost you 1500 bucks a person. I need 1500 bucks. 
Next six months, we are going to meet together every week, and we're going to plan and prepare and pray for a mission trip. That's what we're going to do. And and we're going to intercede. We're going to plan. We're going to lay this thing out. We're going to meet every week. We're going to do it. Uh, And then at the end of that six-month period of time, you're going to take 10 days off work. In addition to the 1500 bucks, you already pay 10 days off work. And then we are going to go together and stay together in the cheapest flea bag motel we can find in northeast Portland. And for 10 days, we are going to focus our 100% attention around the clock on ministering the kingdom of God in that neighborhood around that hotel. That's what we're going to do. Well, first of all, probably nobody would go because it's not all that exciting to go to northeast Portland. Second, but if they did go, I guarantee you stuff would happen. With the same level of commitment, focus, and sacrifice as a ministry trip, I guarantee you there would be stories that people would be healed, that miracles would happen, that God would do stuff. That's why it happens on ministry trips and not on those trips. What I think we fail to see, and this is really the point, is the mission field that exists all around us all the time. And the reality is that we are missionaries right here, today, right now. And, and here's, it's not the full reason, but a partial reason we don't see that, because we live in a Christian nation. Everybody's already a Christian, so what's the point? Who are we trying to reach? It's not clear. It's not clear. Because we, we really believe that, that everybody's a Christian already. Uh, over 80%. It depends on who you read, what study, when it was done. 81, 82%. Somewhere in that neighborhood of people in America today identify themselves as Christians. But what does that mean? 82% of people in this country are Christians according to their own understanding. I think to some of those people it means I am an American. I was born here. This is an American. This is a Christian country. I'm American, so I'm a Christian. That's what it means. To some of those people, it means I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've dedicated my life to him. I've accepted him as Lord and Savior. I invite him into my heart. I obey him. I read his word. I do everything I can do to, to live my life in accordance with his purpose and his wills and his heart for me. That's what it means for me to be a Christian. To some of those people, I think it means that, uh, you know, I was in uh, high school. I was a freshman, I think. I went to a camp, and I raised my hand, and I prayed a prayer, and nothing really changed. I've never gone to church, and then made a difference, but I'm pretty sure I get to go to heaven. That's what it means. To some of those people, it probably means this. Well, I'm a good guy. I'm a decent guy. Jesus said, be nice. I'm nice. I'm a Christian. That's what it means. So, so my point is simply this. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Now, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't mean anything. It's no different than if I said, what does it mean to be a doctor? And a guy says, I'm, I went to medical school, and I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I have a degree in medical science, and I work in a hospital, and I treat patients, and that's what I do. That, I'm a doctor. And the other guy says, well, you know, I like that coat, that lab coat. I, wear, I like wearing that, so I wear one around. I think chicks dig it, so I'm a doctor. Another guy says, hey, this is my favorite. Uh, I, you know, I have really bad handwriting, and so sometimes my people, friends call me doctor, and I, I, people call me Dr. Glenn. Why? Because I can't read what I write. So they call me doctor, therefore I must be a doctor. Somebody else might say, well, my dad was a doctor. My dad was a doctor. Uh, I, 
I'm not. I, I actually didn't go to med school. I, I, in fact, I dropped out of high school in 11th grade, and I basically spent the last 10 years smoking pot and playing video games, but I'm a doctor. It doesn't mean anything. And when we have definitions like that across the board, what does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean anything, certainly not anything relatively close to a biblical definition of what it means to be a Christian. Here's the bad news. The bad news is this. That was all good news. Uh, the, bad, the bad news is, depending, there are, there's so many different surveys and polls. They all have different numbers, but basically this is what it comes down to. Uh, in terms of what people say they believe, America is the most religiously developed country on the planet. In terms of what people say they believe, the United States of America is the most religiously developed country on the planet. However, in terms of actual morality, defined as what would you do if you were absolutely certain you could not be caught, America is also the most immoral nation on the planet. That's not good. What that says to me is there's a lot of professed faith, professed religion that really isn't doing a whole lot of good. So I I believe, and you're welcome to disagree, I I believe that what we have here and what we've always had in this country is a form of deism, a, a belief in God. That God fulfills and plays sort of a social role. And that what we really have is kind of a civic religion. And, and I understand that I got in a fairly intense conversation about this with a pastor friend of mine the other day. What we have, there are some Christian principles. And we have some slogans, some Christ, at least Christian-sounding slogans. We are, after all, one nation under God. And our, and our money says, in God we trust. That's good. And sometimes, if you live in Texas, you can pray before a football game. I think, I think in Texas, football and God are actually almost the same thing. Will this podcast go to Texas? Yes, it will. That's not good. Uh, I, I retract that comment. That all looks good. It sounds good. It kind of it has sort of a Christian air about it, doesn't it? Those things, they do. But at the end of the day... None of those things have any power to transform the hearts of people. That's my problem. That's my problem. Uh, Underneath it all, I I think as a a nation, as a country, we're just another pagan nation that's no different than any other pagan nation. So so my point is this, and and, and please don't hear me as being down on America or anti-American or anything like that. I'm not at all. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we live here. I'm thankful I live here. My point is simply this, that that veneer, that civic religion, that sort, of, that sort of wash that makes it all look and sound sort of good at the end of the day, that, that causes the church to lose their missional focus. Because in reality, we really, we really are missionaries right here, right now, every day, all the time, just as much as if we're on a trip in, to another country. Just as much, every bit, every bit as much missionaries. The kingdom of God comes when the people of God, when, when, when kingdom of God people cause change to come on the inside. That's when the kingdom of God advances. And, and again, I'm thankful for the government that we have. I'm thankful for the laws that we have. I'm, I'm thankful that we live in a country whose laws to some degree or another mostly reflect some 
biblical principles. I'm glad for that. I'm glad that we have laws that say you can't kill people, so murderers don't murder. You can't steal, so stealers don't steal. I'm, I'm glad for those things, but those things don't change the hearts of people. Here, I'll give you one final example, and we'll close. We have a uh, we have a class of crime here. I don't know if all I think all countries have some or many countries have some class of crime, but it's it's been very uh, in, in kind of in focus the last twenty or thirty years or so. We have a cr- class of crimes here called hate crimes. Hate crimes are crimes that are committed. Uh, not necessarily against someone for something they've done to us or they're not targeted because we don't steal from them because they're wealthy. We don't kill them because we're mad at them. Hate crimes are committed simply because someone is different than us. That could be ethnically or religiously different, uh, racially different, uh, gender, uh, sexual preference. And so we hate that group of people, so we commit crimes against them. And we have laws in our country against hate crimes. We have laws that say you will go to jail if you commit these crimes and you're convicted and arrested. You'll, you'll be put in jail. But what those laws cannot do is stop people from hating. That, that's what they can't do. They'll never accomplish that. All the laws in the world can't stop people from hating. Someone might say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to paint a swastika on your garage door. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to kill you. I hate you, but I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid I'll go to jail. But I still hate you. And the laws can't change that, but the love of God can change that. The love of God can turn that heart inside out and cause it to love those people that it once hated. That's the difference. Our unique role as kingdom of God people is to understand that and to not be captivated by the veneer and by the, the whitewash and by the whole thing that makes it look and sound so good because when we do that, we lose everything. We lose our, we lose our edge. We lose our witness. We lose our missional focus. We lose everything, and we, we cannot buy into that. I'll close with this. You guys want to come back up? Why don't you all come on? Band, not everybody. <laughs> everybody come up. 2 Timothy. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's us. No one serving a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Rather, tries to please his commanding officer. Lord, help us to not get entangled in civilian affairs, but to try to please you with our lives, with what we say, with how we live, with what we do, the way we love. Help us to imitate you, to live like you, to love like you to be your people, to care for people the way that you care for them, to go the extra mile, to turn the cheek, to love those that are enemies, to bless those that persecute us, to lay down our lives for those that have stood against us. Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to regain uh, our missional focus. Help us to regain our witness. Help us to have a witness with power and authority. Help us to cause the question to rise in the hearts of every person we meet. What is it about you? What makes you so different? Lord, would you do that for us today? In your name we pray. Why don't you guys stand? I asked them to play that last song they did again because I thought that was a good song.